Hi everyone, welcome back to Brand 2020. One of the things people who visit Japan frequently notice immediately when they get into Narita is the need for cash. Payments in Japan are frequently made exclusively in cash. Very few credit cards are made. Checks are absolutely unheard of. Today I'm joined by David Russell. David, thank you again. Thank you for having me, Tim. It's always a pleasure to be here. No, it's great. You're always providing great insight. Today we're going to talk about money. One of my favorite subjects. We're going to talk about how much cash is used in Japan and why cash is king here. Mm, cash is definitely king here because it has very few rivals. Right. People don't really trust the credit card system. I don't know why. Well, the credit card system here, as you know, got a late start compared to, for example, the United States. The very first credit card in Japan was only issued around 1960, and it was an orphan. No one really wanted to pay attention to it. As you say, no one trusted credit, for the same reasons people didn't trust credit when it first began mm -hmm. overseas. Uh, people trust cash, and they're very comfortable with cash. And so credit cards here had a very, very slow growth curve through the 60s and the 70s and into the 80s. Mm -hmm. And there were reasons. That was not by accident. It comes kind of counterintuitively with Japan being a, a high-tech nation. It's very advanced in a lot of different areas. You would think that it would be a cashless society by now. But in fact, among all of the advanced industrial nations, Japan is at the lowest in terms of using non-cash payments. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, just a couple of years ago, the last statistic I saw is that Japan's total non-cash payments. That includes credit cards, debit cards, ePay, everything that we would include as not cash. That was about 18%, 1-8%. This is in the 21st century. Mm -hmm. uh, in the U.S. is 40%. Uh, England and Australia are both about 50%. And China is 60%. And I believe South Korea is now around close to 90% cash. My gosh. 90%. What, what is, what's going on here? Why is it that the Japanese seem to love cash so much and are reluctant to move into the, the higher tech areas of, of using cashless payments? I mean, it's, it's a cheaper way to go. It provides yeah. richer details for, for tax authorities or for, for merchants, in fact. Well, there are a lot of reasons, I think. I don't think it's a technology problem. Going back historically, I think that there were other things that, as you would say, are very characteristic of Japan, not so much of the society as of the the government, the regulatory structure, is that, as I said before, it was not an accident that credit cards grew slowly. Uh, the government is very well aware that many scholars around the world see the wide use of credit cards as directly connected with a decrease in the national savings rate. The Japanese government, which is highly dependent on having a very, very high public savings rate, did not want to see a sudden very wide diffusion of credit mm -hmm. cards. They did not want to see the savings rate drawn down suddenly. And so credit cards, when they first started in Japan, were not issued by banks. And if you want a credit card to appear out of nowhere and have a very high trust value in Japan, it must be connected to one of the most prestigious organizations in Japan, one of the big banks. Well, they couldn't do it. Right. Only the Shimpan Gaisha, the credit companies, who already had kind of a sketchy reputation to begin with, the credit companies and the finance companies were allowed to issue credit cards. Mm -hmm. and it took a long time. Uh, let's see, Sumitomo Visa was one of the first big ones issued by not Sumitomo Bank, but a credit subsidiary of Sumitomo Bank. And that only came out around, I don't know, 1960s sometime? And didn't... And it still ha could not even do things like revolving credit. Japanese mm. bank 
credit cards could only issue revolving credit, what we assume credit to be, in 1992. Mm -hmm. Very, very recent. So that's one reason. It, there's a, actually a kind of a structural, regulatory reason. The other thing, Japanese just love cash. They're very comfortable with cash. People only stop using cash because there's a more convenient alternative. As you mentioned, right. there are various reasons to switch to other alternative payment systems. But for the Japanese, cash has never been inconvenient. Mm -hmm. The only thing inconvenient about cash is not having any. Right. The Japanese are very comfortable buying things with cash. I've seen a woman go into a jewelry store, buy a very, very expensive necklace, and her attorney was standing next to her, just put the attache case on the table, open it up, and start counting out packages of 10,000 yen notes, you know, a million yen per package, and just stack them all up on the table. I've seen it done with cars. Yeah, people are very comfortable buying things, particularly older people, mm -hmm. comfortable buying things with cash. So there hasn't been that perception of cash being inconvenient. The most inconvenient aspect of cash in the Western world is that it can be stolen. Right. In Japan, with this level of public safety, that's never been an issue. There but, are no cut purses, no highwaymen. Right. People aren't breaking into your house and stealing your money, not on a regular basis. It's just not an issue. Sure. No one is ever going to stick you up on the street and grab your wallet. Right. So carrying a large amount of cash with you is perfectly normal. But that's also counterintuitive because even if you put it in a Japanese bank, the rate of return that you would get for keeping your your savings in a bank or in Japan Postal Services is is minuscule. I mean, you're going to spend that much money that you would earn on interest just on the transactions that you have once exactly. a year. Exactly. It's often said if you if you withdraw money from an ATM one time from any Japanese bank, you've just negated all your interest income, no matter how much money you've had in your account. But yeah, you've got a very good point there. Yes. Um, you would think that it, uh, the banks don't really offer much in the way of an advantage for people, so why keep the money That's in the right. bank? Well, you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. So what's happened? Most people have come to the same conclusion, and the sales of personal use, home use safes, right. have doubled every year, doubled and doubled again, and, doubled, and they're still going up. Mm -hmm. yeah, you one want to make the, a good investment, buy a safe company. Well, one of the amazing things uh, after the tsunami, one of the things that was washing up on the shores were these safes. Thousands and thousands yes. of safes that, that had washed out and then come back into shore. Because people still trust cash. They don't trust the banks anymore right. in the sense that there's no advantage that the bank can offer you. So why not keep the money at home? It's, you know, it's not under the mattress, it's under the futon. Mm -hmm. But it's the same thing. We're basically keeping our money at home and we're keeping it in cash. Right. While we're talking about credit cards, David, uh, one of the issues that came up was the inability, because it was so, so newly introduced, the inability of... of large numbers of Japanese, especially women, to use the credit card wisely to make those payments on time. And even though there was an introduction of the credit cards, very quickly there became this, this backlash of people defaulting on their credit cards and being cut off from that. Certainly, but of course that's true in every country that introduced mm -hmm. credit cards. And I would say, relatively speaking, the default ratio here has been fairly low. Uh, not just credit cards, but in personal loans, personal finances, the, uh, the personal finance companies say that the default ratios here are among the lowest in mm. the world. And after the, uh, what would be called the statute of limitations in such a case, so when people are no longer responsible for repaying the debt they defaulted on, people still go ahead and right. pay it. Uh. This is a, a part of Japanese culture. Mm -hmm. So credit cards, in that sense, are, are not troubled by massive defaults anymore. People are people in the big cities, let's say, mm -hmm. are getting more and more accustomed to using credit cards. Young people today assume they're going to have credit. The real problem is once you leave the big cities. And so if right. you're a tourist and you come to Japan and you want to go visit a temple in Kyoto or, God help you, go out to, to some gorgeous onsen out in the countryside and you think, 
well, I just had dinner. I'll just pay with my Apple Watch. Good luck. Right. Well, even with a credit card, frequently you'd, you'd run into trouble, but probably the places that tourists would typically visit, they'll have a credit card machine there. ATM is pretty More and more of them are, are accepting right? credit cards outside mm -hmm. of the big cities. Places that are swamped by tourists now are accustomed to handling credit cards. A lot of them are handling union pay and some of the Chinese credit cards for obvious reasons. But uh, credit cards are becoming more acceptable than they were in the past outside mm -hmm. of the big cities. But the new ePay systems, again, a lot of people come to Japan and think, I'll just pay for everything with my smartphone. Right. No, not, not outside of Tokyo, you won't. Well, the Olympics will be here in two years, and it seems that a lot of the foreigners that come in to get cash from cash into some non-cash payment, for example, a Suica or, or some sort of an e-card, um, requires probably Japanese language ability in order to make that transaction and to get that, that card in your, in your hands. That seems to be a, a, a rather high hurdle. Yes, I would say if someone wants to go through the process of getting some Japanese-based uh, non-cash card, for example, yes, the, that would be quite a challenge. Uh, however, people who come here with foreign-based credit cards, major credit cards, will find that they can be used certainly in Tokyo and Osaka, and I'm sure yep. by the Olympics. In most cities, they'll have no problem with those. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing is, as you pointed, there are ATMs everywhere. Right. And many of the ATMs now will allow you to withdraw cash based on a foreign credit card. Mm -hmm. So you can come here with a Visa card from your bank at home, pop it into an ATM, and withdraw Japanese cash. And you know, there are more ATMs than people, it seems, in right. Japan. It's just, you, there is cash on every corner in Japan. Every convenience store has an ATM, so people can easily access cash. One more reason why cash is convenient. Right. What about the, the cards that we're talking about? Suica, for example, the card that is used frequently in convenience stores, but also, more importantly, for riding the, the train systems and the subway systems here in Tokyo. This is, to my mind, is probably the most interesting development in Japan becoming a cashless society, is that the, uh, the national train system, which now not a national system anymore, uh, the JR system here in, in the Kanto area introduced a debit card, a prepaid card uh, called Suica, mm -hmm. and it's been incredibly successful. And JR has expanded so that where you used to use that card just to board a train, you can now use it in any of the stores connected with the train stations. And of course, JR is building out huge department store-like retail outlets at all of their major stations. So you can use it there, you can use it at the hotels, and now all of the convenience stores in Japan, right. virtually, have all joined this same group so that you can use your Suica card to make payments at all the, the uh, convenience stores as well. And they've linked it up with the, the phones as well. Yes. And so more and more now, Japanese are coming to the understanding that we don't absolutely need cash, that there right. are convenient alternatives. Having a Suica card in my pocket means I don't have to fish for change and with the current consumption tax at a rather inconvenient 8%, people are always counting out one yen coins. Mm -hmm. They don't want to do that. You pay with your Suica card, done, just like that. David, without laughing, can you give me a, a kind of a comment on the Japanese government intention to go from 20% to 40% within the next uh, 15 years? Very hard to do without laughing. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's that to go yeah. from what they have now, which is 20% is non-cash payments, right? To go from 20% to 40% in, in 15 years? Well, the original government proclamation, I think that was middle of last year, the government said, we want to move to 40% non-cash payments by 
2027. Okay. And then just a month ago, they came out with a new paper which said, no, we want that by 2025. So they're moving the goalposts up. Okay. And for something that was already a long shot to begin with, that's a very ambitious goal. It's very ambitious, but the question is, why is the Japanese government so reticent to move more aggressively forward. What's in it? I mean, why is, is it the Bank of Japan? Is it to keep interest rates down? It, I, I don't understand why it's not moving more aggressively forward. I don't have forward. a good answer for you. I think there are probably several possible answers. A control? But, a control issue? Certainly. Yeah. And as you know, there, there's regulatory turf wars as well. Very typical Japanese subject, something that you, you are quite fond of, is the problems within the uh, the regulatory system, right. the ministries. So, for example, credit cards are controlled by the Ministry of Economy, Trade, and Industry, mm -hmm. right? But debit cards, things like Suica, Meti doesn't handle those. Those are controlled by the Financial Services Agency. This mm -hmm. is like the old days where it would not Meti, it would have been Meti and MOF, the Ministry of Finance. And as we know, whenever you have one specific I'm not giving an inch. That, that is controlled by, one is controlled by media and one is controlled by MOF, it's not going to move very right. quickly. They're going to fight over that tooth and nail. They're going to drag their feet. They're not going to cooperate with each other. And the result is Japan is going to get further and further behind the curve compared to its foreign rivals. Right. Can we talk a little bit about Bitcoin and the explosion of Bitcoin here in Japan? It is also non-cash. It's money that kind of stays in an enclosed system and payments are, and trades are made within that system, pulling cash out is, is a, a different issue, but... That's a very interesting point, because yes, Bitcoin is always perceived as being virtual money within a virtual system. Japan is the first country that I know of that accepted Bitcoin as legal tender. Mm -hmm. uh, you can go into uh, Big Camera, one of our, uh, probably the most prominent big box store in Japan. You can walk right into big camera and their big sign saying, we accept Bitcoin. You can literally buy a TV with Bitcoin. You probably buy several TVs with Bitcoin, but it is accepted as tender, as mm -hmm. cash. And that's a radical step uh, for Bitcoin and for Japan. Why is that? I mean, it seems like Japan is not a Bitcoin country, but the two biggest heists of Bitcoin happened here in Japan. Yes, well, that's a much more complex story. Uh, Japan has, for various reasons, become a center of cryptocurrency trading. Uh, as you probably know, all the cryptocurrency exchanges in China were shut down by the Chinese government. Mm -hmm. Right after that, the exchanges in South Korea were shut down by the Korean government. And that so was huge. That was huge. And so what? who's left in Asia? Well, the biggest currency exchanges are Japan. here. That's true. And so a lot of money and a lot of players came into Japan. Mm -hmm. And Japan was quite unregulated, which is, again, uncharacteristic for Japan. The crypto markets were fairly much mm -hmm. open, but still quite open. They're in the process of getting regulated. And the reason is, just as you said, in 2014, there was a huge heist here, close to a half a billion dollars in virtual currency was hacked, and the government was shocked, and everyone was shocked, and there was a lot of hand-wringing, but things didn't change much, and they didn't change very fast. And then in February of this year, there was one. An, an even bigger one, a little bit over a half a billion dollars. Uh, it was, uh, that wasn't Bitcoin, the actual currency involved was called NEM, and the head of the NEM Foundation, I think is in, based in Singapore, said this is the biggest heist in human history. Well, uh -huh. perhaps a bit of hyperbole, but he got to the point, this is a huge, huge event in the crypto mm -hmm. world. And of course, from a PR perspective, it sets back cryptocurrencies tremendously every time something like this happened. Mm -hmm. Well, the direct result in Japan is we had this huge problem with, uh, with CoinCheck, they lost over half a billion dollars, and the financial services agency said, this isn't going to happen again. And so there was a, a, a 
direct response to this very quickly where we're going to start investigating on a regular basis, investigate all the crypto exchanges. We're going to regulate them in ways that they've never been regulated before. We're going to keep very close tabs on. There are all sorts of new regulations that have not come into effect yet, but they're right around the corner. And a lot of people will be very unhappy with the results right. because the anonymity of cryptocurrency is going to disappear in Japan. The FSA is going to require a specific information on who are the purchasers right. of these various currencies. Know that, your client. Know your client, right. exactly. Two big things for the FSA will be know your client and anti-money laundering. Well, those are two of the big reasons that people get into cryptocurrencies in the first place. <laughs> that's, a, that's why I did it. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> so regulations are going to change. They're going to change in a big way, and it's coming within the next couple of months. Right. It's going to come very quick. Now, what's happened is the cryptocurrency exchanges in Japan have already banded together, seeing what's coming, not wanting to be over-regulated. Mm -hmm. the, the exchanges have banded together to form a sort of exchange industry association to self-regulate. Right. And this is a very positive step. Uh, in fact, one of the people who was in charge of writing the regulations that do exist now said, we don't need a lot more regulation because the government, and this is painfully obvious, the government doesn't really understand what it's regulating. Right. And so the government regulations will be a hindrance to the growth of the industry, mm -hmm. and we want the industry to grow. We want the industry to grow, but we want all of the participants in that industry to be protected. Well, that's what happened in China and in South Korea as well, isn't it? That the, the industry is what built the, the system. It wasn't government intervention. It wasn't the government saying, we have regulations to allow this to flourish. Actually, the, the government is maybe four steps behind. <laughs> At least four steps right. behind. But when the government wakes up and sees what's going on, for various reasons, they say, we don't want this. Mm -hmm. We don't want these exchanges here. Now, the interesting thing is cryptocurrency exchanges are extremely lucrative. Uh, Coincheck, the one that was hacked in February this year, Coincheck at the end of last year was massively profitable. The, the profits were almost as big for a cryptocurrency exchange as for the Tokyo Stock Exchange. The company that, it's not called Tokyo Stock Exchange, but the company that effectively operates the Tokyo Stock Exchange was turning about the same level of profits as this crypto mm -hmm. exchange, which came out of nowhere just a few years ago. How do they generate their profit? Why are they so lucrative? What is, what's the action that's being generated? Well, the, the cryptocurrency exchange is very much like a stock exchange. The difference is the transaction fees that they charge are much fatter. Mm -hmm. So they're making a very nice profit on each transaction there. Well, that's really interesting. So for our viewers that are visiting Japan or anticipating visiting Japan, what do they need to be prepared for? How will they use their cash? How will they bring currencies into Japan so that they can have a good time here? Everyone says if you're going to visit Japan, bring a lot of cash. Right. I don't think they're talking about the cashless society problem. But yes, people who are coming to Japan certainly would want to change their local currency into Japanese cash at the airport. All the rates are the same here. They're all controlled by the government. It makes no sense to wait until you get to Tokyo to change your money. You do want to be carrying cash. However, if anyone is going to be visiting just in the big cities and the areas around the big cities, they'll find almost any place they go will accept credit cards. Right. You won't be able to pay by Bitcoin at your local temple, but credit cards will be accepted yeah, in most places. And part of the fun of, of visiting Japan is going to the smaller shops that don't accept credit cards that give you a lot more flavor and, and more of the, the kind of esoteric feeling of, of visiting Absolutely. Japan. And this is what I always tell my friends is go looking for the places that don't accept credit cards. There's usually a reason. Right. Partly, these are the very small shops that don't want to go through the hassle of getting affiliated with a big Japanese bank and being able to accept credit cards. There is another reason, which we weren't going to talk about, but in effect, a lot of these small shops, by dealing only in cash, are not 
not being, shall we say, fully on the up and up with the tax authorities here. By dealing mm -hmm. in cash, they're able to control the appearance of their profits. Right. And when they switch over to credit cards, everything has a paper you trail. You have a receipt, you have a paper trail, that's right. And as you know, about 70, 80% of Japanese corporations, and a lot of small corporations, are perennially in the red. Mm -hmm. They plan to lose money every year. They will never declare a profit. And mm -hmm. so the tax base is, well, operates accordingly. Mm -hmm. Japan, a tremendous economy that uses mostly cash. How is this gonna change? Please stay tuned.